My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. Today's episode is sponsored by the Holocene Magazine. You can use code PODCAST at checkout to save 15% on our first issue. Today, I am joined by none other than Joel Pilger. Now, instead of me reading Joel's bio, I am just going to let this conversation start. And I know that's not very typical, but I think very quickly you will understand why. So here is a fantastic conversation between myself and Joel Pilger. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Joel, thank you so much for coming on the show. Happy, happy, happy to be here. Amazing. So I start every podcast uh, episode the exact same way by asking the question, what is the first thing you do or what think about when you wake up in the morning? Oh, man. Well, the first thing I do is what we're all supposed not to do, which is I grab my phone and look at my calendar and go, what the hell is coming at me today? <laughs> right? When I should be meditating, right? I should be just getting my exercise or whatever before I touch my phone, but I don't. I, I grab my phone. Yeah. Yeah. Jumping into a cold body of water or doing whatever the, the people on TikTok do the, these days to uh, live the best life possible. <laughs> I don't, I actually don't have TikTok. So thank Smart. God. I've, I don't either. I've, yeah. I've just, I said, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I'll just let everyone else tell me all about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and for the data mining that TikTok pulls from your phone, I think that in itself is worth not having on your device. Um, sure. PSA, if anyone out there still has TikTok on their phone, they don't know about this, just give it a quick Google and you'll be horrified and probably delete it from your phone. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of where we go. So when you pick up your phone and you look at your calendar, I guess the question is, what immediately gives you a feeling of like hope or joy for the day? And what is just makes you feel like, oh God, today is going to be one of those days? Well, I'm going to... I mean, full honesty, I live a life that is really fun for me. Like I've spent my entire career getting to a place where I actually love what I do kind of all the time. And I get to do what I want to do, which is for me, an exciting day is I have a call with this client. I'm, you know, to help them figure out whatever issue they're dealing with in their business. Then I'm doing a live stream with my business partner to studio and production company owners around the world then I'm recording a podcast with a guest or being interviewed. Then I might be uh, going into our community and doing some sort of an event. And then hopefully that night I'm hosting one of my dinners somewhere in the world because I love travel and I love bringing creative yeah. entrepreneurs together. So that would be kind of like my dream day. The day that I dread something, it's probably the, like the day that I have to meet with my accountant and, and work on taxes or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds pretty bad. Um, you mentioned these creative dinners. Can you, can you expand more on that? Yeah. So, uh, this is the, the, there's the short version, which is I go to different cities around the world. And mm. as I, as I plan my travels, I will often reach out to the various owners. Okay. So these are studio and production company, creative agency mm -hmm. owners and say, Hey, I'm hosting one of my private dinners. You're invited. Be there or be square. <laughs> and I'll get this amazing gathering of, say, 15 or 20 different owners, and we'll have these private Jeffersonian uh, dinners with really intense and really candid conversations. Um, and they're, these are all, you know, 
very serious, uh, legit business folks. So those are, I call those cohort, which, cause it used to be a quarterly gathering thing that I would do. Now I do them more frequently than that. And I think I've done them in like seven or eight different cities around the world. I just hosted my 28th wow. dinner Congrats. here in New York um, a few nights ago. But the, 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 uh, the funny part of the story is the reason I started doing it was because five or 10 years ago when I started consulting, I would go to New York, I would go to LA, and I would run myself ragged trying to get all over town to see all of the different people I wanted to see. Yeah. And so one day I just got smart. I went back to a book I read many years ago called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. Yeah, and he's I remembered, cool. yeah. And I and I remembered, wait a minute, Joel, when you come into town, how can you get everybody to come to you? And I'm like, yeah, ho host an amazing dinner and everyone shows up and it's been a it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, you're you're not the only person I know that uses that tactic. Um so it's 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 a pretty brilliant way as you said to stop running all over cuz that pretty much describes every trip I have to New York or LA or when I'm, you know, back to living in New York, it's like the same thing. It's like I still right. feel like I was like wait a second, I live here. Why am I running around? Right? You know. Um Keith Keith Ferrazzi is actually an interesting uh mention. Uh I saw him speak at a a conference when I was in college. It was like some event I was invited to and he just happened to be speaking. And I had no idea who he was. I was, you know, <laughs> 19 years old but he made a good point then he's like look like i think his, his book had just come out this like 2013 maybe okay um but yeah so that's that's an interesting kind of premise that i think more of us should employ i do with walks right so like i love taking long walks and if i have a meeting wherever i am i'll try to assimilate one of those meetings into a walking meeting um some nice. people are very game for it some people are very not game for it um Didn't, so depending uh... on the person but. I want to say Steve Jobs was a big um, mm -hmm. proponent of the of the walking meeting, and he would do a mm -hmm. lot of those when I read his uh, biography. Yeah, and uh, so I'm a big fan of the likes of Tim Ferriss and Naval Ravikant, and they do the same thing. And there's actually been studies recently. There's one that so there was a study done back in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, and it kind of stopped for a while. And one recently published, I believe, by Stanford. I'll link it below for anyone that is curious. But they basically said that the the parts of your brain that are surrounded or, or help with creative thinking and decision-making are activated by a walk. Um, and something that Aval said always kind of struck with me is that like we have gone through so much evolution as a human species to be able to keep a level head while walking. Cause like most other creatures like move or bob their head. Right. And to have that level head helps with that thinking process. So how cool. Might as well I use love it. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just for uh, some people listening to this may know exactly who you are. Some people may have no idea who you are. Um, for that latter group, uh, could you tell me, like, how would you describe the work you do now to your eight-year-old self? Okay. I was trying to decide which which group am I in. Do I know who I am? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? I don't know who I am, so. Am I in that latter group? Um, yeah, what I would say to an eight-year-old, that's a great that's a great way of putting it. To your eight-year-old self. Not, yeah, not to my eight-year-old yeah. self. Yeah. To your eight-year-old self, yeah, I would say, I'd say, hey, Joel, when when you get into the year 2023, you're going to be helping creative people, creative leaders thrive. And you're going to be helping them unleash their greatest gifts into the world through business. That's awesome. And then if the eight-year-old said, what do you even mean, business? <laughs> <laughs> I would say, like, you know when you watch TV and you see not only these cool shows, but you see television commercials, mm -hmm. or when you're on the this thing called the internet that hasn't been invented yet, because I'm eight, yeah. 
<laughs> but there's going to be like, we're going to carry on these devices and we're going to be able to communicate with each other. But it's going to be really important that when we communicate with each other, that we understand each other and we can find our way. We can find the people we're looking for, the things we want to buy, the things that we want to take part in, the things that we want to participate in. And that's what all these creative people are going to help us figure out. They're going to help us navigate this future of brands and mm. ideas and relationships. Yeah. Awesome. So you've spent and spend most of your time now uh, kind of around production and things adjacent to a camera, right? I think that's like that's definitely a vast oversimplification of it. Um, but I would, I would say it's the camera and the computer because it's both okay. like yeah. it's production and post-production. Mm. Which is more than production these days. Yes, um, very much. <laughs> so um, I guess, I guess kind of going back, cause I, I, you know, as someone who spends a lot of time around a camera myself, I always want to know, like, do you remember the first time you really picked up and used a camera? I do because the, the, the first time I really picked one up and used it in the way to which you're referring mm. would have been, I want to say this was maybe the late seventies when my best friend, Mike across the street, his uncle gave us an enlarger and a full dark room set of equipment. That's awesome. And, and so my dad let me use his Nikon black and white, of course, uh, this was like a 1958 or something, 35 millimeter camera yeah. and had interchangeable lenses and all this. And my buddy and I started going out and shooting. We would go to downtown Atlanta and go on these photo sprees. And we would then come back and develop the negatives and then make prints and all this. And again, part of my story that this is, you know, one of the chapters in my life that changed my, yeah. my career and became part of who I am. So yes, that was, that was when I started. That was a long, long time ago. Do you have any of the negatives from back in the day or prints saved anywhere? I, I do have a few in, in a, mm -hmm. in a box, right. Stored somewhere in mm -hmm. Atlanta. Some of, some of that sentimental, uh, stuff but yeah it's been really cool how you know the it, it actually took me another 20 or 30 years before i picked up a camera again in the same way mm. because i didn't feel like i had permission i felt like an imposter i thought oh that's what cinematographers do right and yeah. dps and all that sort of stuff so i came back to it much later in life and just realized holy crap i love this and i think i'm pretty freaking good maybe yeah <laughs> maybe as long as you're having fun, that's all that really matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bring up an interesting point. Um, I, I think it's like the the existing silos in the worlds of creativity, especially in production, where like, you know, you have DPs, you have cinematographers, you have everyone that kind of exists in these roles. And to most people, the only way that they really see that is if they ever stay for the credits, uh, you know, on like the Netflix screen when the show drops down to like a small one and square in the corner and the next one starts playing, right? right. Um, but like, do you think that, where we stand nowadays in terms of everyone kind of needs to silo themselves is like hindering creativity. Like, do you think that the trend moving forward is going to be towards like you have someone who's a more of a generalist in production and less of like a hyper specific role or. I, I, so I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth and say sure. it's both like there's totally valid reasons why you should absolutely specialize and be great at something, right? One mm -hmm. thing that you love Again, I call this your genius, right? This is the thing that you love doing. It brings you energy and you produce really big results when you do that thing. 
at the same time, I think there's actually been a lot of really good books and research done on the benefits of being a generalist. Mm -hmm. So I think there's actually great reasons to be both, which I know sounds like, you know, a paradox. You can't be, you know, you can't be both, but I would say, man, there is so much value in modern culture to being well-rounded, like get off the computer, get out into the world, travel, interact with other people, have experiences and work with people of all shapes and sizes, all different roles, all different titles, right? Mm-hmm. Spend, spend a, a week, you know, traveling through the jungle with a documentarian and learn what is that process like? And why is that person called the cameraman? But then of course, yeah. spend a week, working with an animator and to understand what keyframes are and what color correction is and what alpha channels do. And like, mm. man, like freaking get out there and into the world and experience all these things because you're going to draw upon all of that general stuff mm-hmm. as you specialize. I love that. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's another book I'll add in there is like that, that focus on journalism is uh, Tim Ferriss's the four hour work week, right? This idea that, you know, specialization is for insects, but you still need the insects to get the job done, right? There you um, go. Yeah. So I, I do I do like that. I know that was kind of an aside question based on the the tangent we were going down. Um, but when you picked up a camera again, um, was it film? Was it digital? Was it just using your phone? Like what was what did that look like? I'm excited to say it was the Canon 5D Mark II. Mm-hmm. What happened was I was so my studio impossible pictures which mm-hmm. was based in denver we were doing a project for a promo for investigation discovery okay the tv network and the we had pitched three ideas and they were all just decent ideas and we were starting to work on the one that the client selected and i went back to her and i said can i be honest i don't think this idea is that great i've got another idea but it's live action based And she said, look, I trust you. If you're inspired to do this, go for it. I won't end run you. I trust you. And I'm like, wow, okay. So I went and rented this thing called a 5D purely to visualize this idea that I had. So I had this forensic analysis investigator thing, room, someone sort of analyzing a crime story, crime scene. Mm -hmm. And when I shot these frames... I was like, I'm going to take these and show these frames to a DP and be like, Mm -hmm. hey, you're the cinematographer. I want it to look like this. Mm. And it was my team that said that that's that. Why not just press record on the camera? That's Mm. the shot. Yeah. And and I was kind of like, you think we could do that? I mean, this camera does that. You can press the record button and it'll shoot 24 or 30 frames a second. Yeah. And we just said, let's do it. And it the spot ended up being not only did it turn out fantastic, I'm proud to say, but it won a bunch of awards and it got a bunch of attention and all this because it was just one of these early uses. Mm-hmm. And to answer your question, digital, digital. Yeah. But it was like, I didn't, I had to give myself permission because mm-hmm. I was, I was like, well, I'm not a DP. I'm not a cinematographer. Sure. I know my, my way around a camera. Yeah. But uh, until I just started making, I didn't feel like I had permission mm-hmm. The 5D Mark II is a really special camera for many reasons. Um, I look at, I have many friends now who work in documentary, like they're documentarians or they're DPs or cinematographers. And they started out with a simple point and shoot camera and YouTube or something else. And now they're running like their own production studios or they're on sets for Netflix or they're, you know, doing feature films or ad spaces. And almost every single one of them, like 
five years older than me to five years younger than me got their start with the 5d mark ii because the first camera that was like accessible quote unquote was two thousand dollars for the body i think back in 2004 or five or six or somewhere in that range yeah yeah and and it was something where it was it was a stretch for someone like me and their teens who wanted to buy it but also like it was a very high quality still camera that could also shoot video without having to like change your lenses which was like amazing right Right. Um, and so I, I, I really appreciate what Canon has done since then and basically said that we're always going to involve video into all of our DSLRs, which I think has really helped create this new creative movement where you're getting a lot of amazing content from. Absolutely. Yeah. And sorry. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah sorry. All good. And uh, so for anyone curious, I'm just going to, as, as a reminder, I link everything we talk about below. Uh, I'm sure Joe will see me like on my phone taking rapid notes. That's all I'm doing. So if you're wondering what the 5D Mark II looks like or why it's so important, there'll be a link below, I promise. Um, so kind of talking about, you know, technology and how it's advanced, you know, it used to be that in order to shoot, uh, you know, quote unquote, production level films or spots or anything, you know, the equipment was incredibly expensive, right? You were going to a rental house, production house, you're spending tens of thousands of dollars a week to rent these ridiculous cameras. But now, you know, you can buy a, a Red or an Ari and they're like prosumer level versions for $10,000 and they are amazing, right? Yes, yeah, of um, course. So I guess as someone who who has been in and around production companies, do you see a shift changing from like people using production rental houses to actually being able to like fully integrate and own their own like full stack of hardware now? I'm going to answer the question in a weird way and say it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't, mm -hmm. it's not even a topic of conversation anymore. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Meaning, meaning the, the means of production um, to use the old Adam Smith term, mm -hmm. uh, the way that content gets produced now the the equipment, the technology, whether we're using this software or that software, is increasingly becoming uninteresting mm -hmm. because it's not the point. The point is what's yeah. the point of view, right? Who's the storyteller? What's the thing that's being captured? Mm -hmm. Right? What's how's it how's it all bringing together? What's the strategy behind it? What's the business mm -hmm. reason behind the thing? Right. But the like the camera, the lens, and whether we own it, whether we rent it, it's it's honestly it's just not even really a point of discussion anymore which i think is great that's it just tells you that the, the 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 tools have been fully democratized mm -hmm. like it's whatever tool you want go get it do you need to rent yeah. it do you need to buy it whatever doesn't matter go yeah i think there was a one of the short films live action short films the oscars this past year i think was shot all on iphone um, mm. I, I'll link it below if I can find it, but like, that's awesome to me that, you know, to, yeah. to the fact that, you know, people can just use the phone in their pocket and make something that is recognized on a, you know, global scale at what is the pinnacle of, uh, I, I guess. and I want to say, didn't Steven Soderbergh shoot a whole feature mm -hmm. on iPhone? And I want to yep. say that was like five years ago or something. Oh, so, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that, that barrier got broken a mm -hmm. minute ago and it's just continuing to be broken where yep. now it's not even. I would even dare argue, like, if someone shoots a feature film on an iPhone, it's not even interesting. It's not even noteworthy. It's like, yeah. great, right? Like, okay, cool. You made that yeah. choice and good for you. Yeah. I think the democratization point is, is, is a great point because there are a couple films that, you know, existed 20, 30 years ago that were good simply because the cinematography and the quality of the 
production was so high that it was an enjoyable film. But nowadays that that accessibility is so, so low that you actually have to make really, really good content. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. That's a, that's actually a really interesting point because there was, I think, an era even in like my corner of the industry, which is dealing with studios and production companies. Hmm. similarly where there was a, an era i call it the, the glory days or the good old, hmm. good old days <laughs> where wow you can do 3d and you can render something and you can you know make a bouncing ball or you can make something cast shadows or you know what i mean or you can shoot on that film camera and get that yep. look oh my gosh that was actually something you could sell and now no <laughs> you can't sell that at all all you can sell is i have a really great idea and I can bring it to life. Yeah, because everything else is just not only incredibly accessible, but also, you know, is is what it is. And I, I think something I've, I wanted to bring up with you that I find fascinating is the proliferation of using post-processing for things that don't necessarily need it. And what I mean by that is like, I'll use David Fincher as an example, like someone who in the social network, um, you know, which is one of my favorite films of the past couple decades, um, you know, he used post-processing and CGI for just like normal everyday things that most people would just shoot. Like someone like uh, Christopher Nolan would just shoot cause he wants everything on camera. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but using these like live action points to like, just make the story continuous. I think Ted Lasso is a great example of like the stands and, and pretty much all their soccer game scenes are like completely CGI to like uh -huh. morph together things. And I, and so like, do you think that's where we're headed? Like, do you think that is like the next um, uh, cliff echelon? I don't know the word to use this, but. I think, I think so. I mean, it, I think what we're, what we're reaching is a point where as an industry, if you, the creative can visualize something, hmm. you can go capture it. And whether you capture it in camera, you create it, digitally, right? You synthesize something um, mm -hmm. by uh, the process of 3D or whatever tool you might be using, or you're even le leveraging AI to generate that thing that you need. Again, hopefully this is all in the service of, I just want to tell a story and I just want behind my character. I just want, you know, 10,000 fans in the stands. So, okay, you've got this option, this option, this option, this option to tell that story in a way where it's all about that character and why that moment is important and what would it feel like for 10,000 people to be screaming. But um, yeah, it, it, again, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about how difficult that was to do mm. certainly 10 or, or for sure 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. And now, yeah, now there's just so many options and ways to do it where hopefully they're all in the service of the story mm -hmm. and they're within reach and that vision can be brought to life in a, you know, much more fluid and simple way. And COVID really accelerated some of these technologies because they couldn't go shoot on location or they couldn't have, you know, 5,000 extras in the same room anymore. Sure. You know, well, um, think of the, uh, you know, one big shift that we're, that I'm seeing right now is I'm just a few days ago, I held uh, what's, I brought together my inner circle, which is all these mm -hmm. different studio and production company owners. And we just talked about the advancements in the led wall, right the virtual the, the volume stage right yeah the volume space yeah. right so this mm -hmm. i just call it the mandalorian thing yeah so <laughs> which cool. is it's so so cool <laughs> yeah and and what's what's exciting about it is it was accelerated also i think as a result of covid like okay mm -hmm. we can't 
we can't go here. We can't shoot this way. What options do we have? And there's things like, well, we can shoot this way, much smaller crew. We get this entire look and it's all naturally, you know, it's in camera and so forth. Um, so yeah, it's really cool to see how the technology again is just coming back to offer us more and more choices and, and options as creators. Yeah. There's a whole documentary I'll link below on short, short, I think on Disney plus about the volume and like the force perspective, like what they used and, it was amazing how quickly they went from like concept to actuality to like Disney's now making every live action show this way, you know? <laughs> right? Um, yeah, yeah. They can some, do it in a studio. Some... They can do it in a soundstage, right? It's it's. Well, I remember no watching uh, when I first watched the movie Oblivion. Do you remember that movie? Hmm. Um, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, to be honest. With you. Same. Yeah. Same. I freaking love that movie so much. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's so underrated. Um, yes. Now, remember the director was um, Joe Kaczynski, mm-hmm. and. Joe and the DP had this vision of capturing everything in camera and those scenes of the sky, mm. whatever that, the house that Tom Cruise and the other the beautiful lady, floating. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, um, that was actually all shot in essentially a giant soundstage that was like a planetarium. Yeah. And they went and they shot all these 4k or 8k plates of Hawaiian sunsets and stuff and then projected it. So everything was in camera. Mm-hmm. And it's when wild. you when you look at the behind the scenes, it's like holy cow! And it's like an early version of what we're seeing now in these volume and LED stages, where mm-hmm. right? Why wouldn't we just build these things and make them portable? Because like one of my clients has built a stage here in New York, and he said, "Yeah, but it's portable, so they can pack the whole thing down, put it into a That's bunch amazing. of boxes, put it on the back of a truck, ship yeah. it to Timbuktu because the CEO doesn't want to travel to, to New York. He mm-hmm. wants to walk out into the parking lot." of their headquarters. Yeah. Walk onto a soundstage, deliver the thing, go, you know, go back to work and okay, we can do that. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought up oblivion. I knew we were going to be friends, but now I know we're going to be very good friends for just saying that because oblivion is if people that listen to this podcast. They know that that is like one of my all time favorite films. And one that I believe is probably one of the most underrated films to come out in the past two decades. Um, Because not just from a production perspective, but from a story perspective, but from a music perspective. I had uh, one of my now friends, Cyrus Reynolds, on here who does a lot of like composing and, and, and other things for feature films and short films. And him and I talked for 45 minutes about how good the soundtrack is of Oblivion um, yes. with Joseph Trapanese of MD3. Um, and his whole, uh, was it, sorry, it's, it's Gonzalez and Trapanese basically just making this epic ballad to like this is what life can be and story and telling and i think it's one of tom cruise's best films too like he nails it in that movie um yeah well i got to i had the pleasure of seeing uh m83 in concert here in new york about a month ago and (laughs) seeing a few of those tracks performed live Mm -hmm. i mean it was just an incredible um experience but it is that that film represents so many different departments coming together in such a Mm -hmm. like a high art form um That, that yeah it's it's something i i can't recommend enough uh for people to go and and, and check out What's and it? also just watch the behind the scenes and all of the art the art department the cinematography the music the uh of course also the the ui ux design work that was i think of a lot everything. of g monk and a few of other people that you know yeah. big big innovators um that created stuff that is still you know making an impact on on cinema today yeah i'm bummed m83 was touring around and i was jumping around for a month and he was literally like always in the opposite place that I was. And so I, I missed him, which is a shame, but I, I, I managed to see Nils from, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, mm-hmm. um, but you, you would like, it's, it's like, instead of M83, 
it's like the analog version of M83. So everything, you know, his his setup is all digital. Nils is it's all analog. And it's all these like super crazy old school things that run off of like steam or vibrating glass and water and like these <laughs> it's just so See good. now now you're speaking one of my love languages because in my former former life I was mm. a giant music nerd who had mm. synthesizers and was awesome. way deep into music and of course analog was where I started right with Oberheim's yeah. Mm-hmm. and Roland and all these other synths. Amazing. So yeah, I'm going to dive into the Niels from uh, Niels from Yeah. I'll, I'll link, I'll link Niels below this. Like people listen to this know, like I, someone I would just want to shut up about. I'll send you a few of my favorite tracks after this. Um, but <laughs> Thank yeah, you. so, so I grew up as a musician. Uh, I, pl- I played percussion, mostly drum set, mostly timpani. And I was going to go into school and go be a musician. And then I decided to do engineering instead. Um, cause I just, Same. I just like science and math so much. Same. Um, I went to Georgia yeah. tech and as an engineering there you student. Go. Yeah. Uh, aerospace or what uh, initially physics then i was going to be electrical engineering and then mm-hmm. one day my dad get to be the biggest solid of my entire life when mm-hmm. he said i don't think you're going to be a very good engineer <laughs> right and yeah. he said i want you to consider changing mm-hmm. schools i want you to look at going to music school art mm-hmm. school or film school and of course mm-hmm. at this is in the mi- early 90s i was like yeah. what late 80s what even that- yeah, where right, trade like, degrees were still like the top thing you could do. Big time. Right? And yeah. I found a thing called industrial design, which some people just call simply product design. Or that design. became my major. And, you know, the rest is sort of history because that was like, yeah. oh, I can be a creative that also is, you know, a discipline mm-hmm. and all this. Yeah. So, you know, my story is similar as in like I was doing arts and sciences and I went straight to hardcore science and did aerospace engineering. And, you know, I was able to lucky enough, like work for NASA and do all the fun things. And I honestly hated it. <laughs> so I, I was lucky enough to have a, a guidance counselor in school who basically told me, she's like, you know, you don't have to be an engineer, right? I was like, well, I'm not dropping. It was like senior year. I was like, I'm not dropping out. Like I'm finishing my degree. And she's like, then no, no, like, you don't have to go work for Boeing or Lockheed. You can, you can go do something else. Like engineering degrees are very interdisciplinary. And I was like, okay. And she's like, what do you want to do? I was like, I've always liked design. And for me personally, I just got super lucky. Like I went to New York, like every dumb young kid with no money does and figure it out. And I just got super lucky and that I met someone named Brian Collins and I convinced him to hire me as a kid with no experience and just let me go make some shit with him. Wow. And that's kind of wow. how I started my thing. Love that. Um, so yeah, it's like similar, but I think that's what I, I like people like you because it's this idea of like, you keep kind of, it's like, what's that game? It's not snake, but like you keep kind of moving around and checking out different places until you find the thing that feels right. And then you kind of from there just continue to expand and move and create. And, and remember, yeah, I don't know what the stat is. It's something like 70, 80% of people who graduate with a degree are working mm. in a different field within a few years. Yeah. So I'm surprised it's not higher. Honestly, <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, it's just like, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's should be 90% or a hundred percent, but yeah, it just frees up. I think it frees up, frees up youngsters, right. To, mm-hmm. to be like, sure, get that degree. But this whole narrative called now go get a job in that degree. Like maybe, maybe, yeah. but probably not just relax, yeah. get out there. My uh, my college advisor, he always knew I wasn't going to go and work in some lab somewhere. And uh, he brings me back every year when he was still at my old school before I retired into class one day sometime in the fall. As we talked to all the kids about basically saying like, look, like you guys are all brilliant, gifted engineers. You're at this school. It's the best for what we do. You don't have to go do this for the rest of your life. You know, 
Like right. go do something else. And right. I've actually had a couple of kids come back to me a few years later being like, thank you for giving me the permission or like feeling I, I, cause that's the thing. It's right. Like you talked about having the camera. You didn't feel like you had the permission to go and do this, but then right. someone was like, it's, it's okay. Just do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's everything these days is. I mean, this is a lot of actually what I do in my, in my work now as an advisor, as a consultant mm. is actually giving like my clients. Okay. So these are business owners, but giving them permission. Right. Mm. Cause it's like they're, they, they have all these crazy ideas. They have all these dreams, ambitions, schemes, plans, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then somebody shows up like me and just says, yeah, that's a great idea. Go do it. I give you full permission. There's yeah. this unleashing that happens and it can happen. Yeah. When you're graduating from college, but it, it's going to happen throughout the rest of your life. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the best thing I can do with this podcast or mentoring people or just talking to people is like unlocking that. And because I, I had the exact same thing. And one day I just had a collection of books and mentors. Brian was a good person at just telling me to like, you know, his big thing is messes more. Just like, just go and do it and see what happens. The worst thing you can do is not touch it. Right. Um, right. But yeah, my mom was also good at kind of pushing me. And I think that's what, that's what you do as like, when I'm, when I work with a lot of startups, right. Um, and those are the clients that I have and they're trying to, you know, build something crazy and new. The best thing you usually tell them is just, okay, go try it, you know, because they're hesitant because of like a cash flow issue. They're worried that like investor D is not going to like the use of funds. It's like, who cares? Like that's where anything fun is made, you know? Yeah. I mean, in the era of fail fast, right. And, Mm. um, and try it and follow your bliss and so forth. Yeah. There's, um, I don't know. Maybe there's also, I think we, in a hyper-connected world, we also feel a lot of, I call it like the pressure of the peer, mm-hmm. where a lot of times creatives, especially, they want to share their best work with the world. They want those opportunities to come at them because they're sharing their portfolio or something. But if you really dig below the surface, they're worried most about what their friends, their peers mm-hmm. are going to think. think of them. Yeah. yeah, because we look at our peers and we go, oh, well, he's running that company over there and she's doing that company over there. And if I show this piece of work, what are they going to think about me? Because they're the ones that I see every year at the conference and I want them to think I'm cool because if they think I'm cool, then I am cool. And man, we got to break that. Yeah, yeah, right. It's the it's the what other people think of you is none of your business. That's, some, that's something I live by. <laughs> I love um, it. <laughs> Well, because look, like there are a lot of things I've done that people like the magazine is a good example of it. everyone I talked to thought it was crazy. Thought it was like, you, they're like, you want to make a print only magazine in 2023 that you're not going to rely on advertising revenue. They're like, are you fucking insane? I was like, I, I think it has legs. And no, and like, I had a few believers, like my girlfriend, my parents, some of my best friends, but everyone else was kind of like, whatever. And then they saw it and they're like, oh, okay. I get it now. It's like, ah. Uh. Right. <laughs> That's you know? interesting. I, it's funny. I just posted something because um, I had, I don't know, I had a bit of a rant last night because mm. let's just say that there was somebody I was talking with and they weren't, they were, they were asking like, well, what does the market need? And right. Like if we did a test, what would the market survey said? And I called BS on it yeah. and I was like, what do you want to do? Right. And I, there's this famous quote from, uh, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lose it. It'll come to me in a second. Um, but the quote is, don't ask what the world needs. Mm-hmm. 
ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is people who have fully come alive. And that's sort of what you said. It's also that that same spirit is what drove like Steve Jobs and Apple mm-hmm. to come out to come out with the iPod. They didn't mm-hmm. do any market research. They there was no like study that said this, this is going to be a, to be here. A know? runaway hit. It's just like said, wouldn't it be kick ass if yeah. we could store a thousand, you know, songs and carry it in our pocket on in a little pocket. hard drive? And they did it just because. And so mm-hmm. yeah, to your to your point, um, you you had a dream about a magazine, and you were kind of like, I see something. And if you ask people, hey, should I go make a magazine? They kind of go. They think in the, they think in the existing categories in their mind, mm-hmm. and they yeah. go based on what I know a magazine to be. No, you shouldn't do that. But yeah. you're thinking, I, but I see something else, and I would say, mm-hmm. go do it because. To quote, uh, let's see, who's my? I'm trying to. I'm gonna forget my friend's name. Uh, lives in Portugal. Uh, feature film title designer, uh, Carvalho, Philippe Carvalho. Mm. Yeah. I love this line. He says, he says. Do work that is meaningful to you. Chances are it's meaningful to others. Absolutely. It will be meaningful yeah. to others. So you just have to get it out there and find that tribe and they're going to resonate mm-hmm. with it and be like, wow, Rob, I can't believe you made this kick-ass magazine. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I think the most mind-blowing thing to most people was the fact that like I wanted to make it and I wanted to be like a very small percentage of my time, like not my full-time thing, like as like a, as like a side passion. And they're like, you're crazy. But it, it was mainly inspired in a lot of things I've done Casey Neistat, who's a, I'm sure you're familiar with him. Um, YouTube, uh, creator has like, probably like the guy who is most famous for like making vlogs happen. Basically. Mm. Um, he, he, he made me aware of a quote, I think now eight or nine years ago uh, from, um, man and Superman, um, of like the reasonable man, uh, adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in adapting the world to themselves. Therefore all progress depends on the unreasonable man. Um, and I think it's, I think it's the exact same, it's, it's like the same combination of what you just said, right? It's like, you know, the Steve Jobs, the Elon Musks, the, the people like that were basically said like, I'm not okay with the status quo. I don't really care what people think. And they're like, you know, you want to go build cars fully electric when that's doesn't exist, or you want to go, you know, launch a rocket every few weeks and land it back to earth. Like you're crazy, man. And now it's just like, it's changing, changing entire economy. just like the iPod and the iPhone and the vision pro. Actually, I want to ask your opinion on this. So Apple's vision pro, right. Uh, To people (laughs) that aren't familiar or missed it or just aren't online whatsoever in the past few weeks, Apple revealed an AR VR mixed reality headset. That is, you know, I think it's a stunning piece of industrial design, like most things that come out of Apple. I mean, obviously, it's like this is the V zero, right? There's still a yeah. long way to go in terms of the hardware, but in terms of what it means for content, what it means for the average consumer, like what what do you think this is? You think this is the signal of a beginning of a new kind of era of content creation, or do you think this is just like a, a device that allows people to amplify existing channels? Ooh, wow, that's why it's tough to put on that prediction cap you know and prophesy i i will say that i was i i there's like a beautiful and amazing side to that product and the technology that it represents and the trend that it represents and then there's also this dark and and unfortunate and weird right (laughs) weird side of like really are we going to have millions of people around the planet like wearing these goggles and being less human and less engaged and yeah, all these sorts of things. Um, and, or being, or being addicted to that way of experiencing reality and, mm-hmm. and so forth. 
But the beautiful part of it, I think what most struck me when I saw the product being announced was rethinking of it as how would we, first of all, create an operating system that would take advantage of spatial all, computing. Yeah, spatial computing. Um, and I don't know if it's LIDAR or what, the, the sensors that are looking at my hands and n noticing the gestures that I make. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, there that's the future becoming the present because mm -hmm. I've seen that vision in science fiction films going back you know, a number of years. And here we are. It's actually coming to life. But I think what most intrigued me was, huh, I had a conversation with Justin Cohn. Do you know Justin from Buck? He used to, yeah. he was one of the co-founders of Motionographer. Mm -hmm. He and I had a chat on my podcast a, few, a couple months ago, and he made this really ridiculous statement that I thought about since and realized it's absolutely true. And he said, the phone as a device is totally going away. Mm -hmm. He's That's like, true. if you look at these things, He's like, we think of them as a ubiquitous part of our life that will always be a part of a life. He said, it's actually this crappy, bulky, heavy, whatever thing that falls right. and shatters. And, and we all crane our necks and stare at these things while we're on the and subway or it. yeah, worship it, whatever. And he just said, if you think about it, once somebody solves the physicality of this thing, mm -hmm. we're going to see all new possibilities and, and, and we'll see the next generation of whatever this thing is. And when I saw the Vision Pro, I said, ah, there it is. That's the step in that direction. It's not mm -hmm. the 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 destination, because to your point, this is version zero, um, <laughs> right? This is the initial, almost, it was really like their um, their vision of the vision, <laughs> the vision mm -hmm. of the Vision Pro, um, yeah. what we'll see when it actually comes to market. And then think about version two, three, four, five of this thing. That's where you start to kind of go, oh, right. Look at the original iPod and then where it went. Look at the original iPhone. Look at where it went. Where Vision Pro is going to go, it's it's a new way of interacting with content, with our computers. Like maybe I don't have to have a laptop, laptop anymore, mm -hmm. right? When I'm on a plane, I just put this thing on and I do my work. And by the way, it's a screen the size of, right? Anything, yeah. It's, it's enormous. I got this huge mm -hmm. canvas that I can work on now. So I think there's a lot of really interesting possibilities there. The fact that they're they're kind of re-envisioning, it's not just a screen that sits in front of your eyes. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a it's an experience, it's a way of interacting and engaging with uh digital and with the real world. So I think there's something really, really cool there. And of course I also have concerns with you know, how, how, how is it going to uh, create a new addiction to, you know, if, oh yeah if, right. We've already got billions of people that have like neck problems like me, just from like tilting and look, looking at our phones all the time. Yeah. yeah I try to be so, that weird person that's always holding my phone like straight in front of me. And people are like, why are you doing that? I'm like, so my neck doesn't hurt. Right. Yeah. Same, same. <laughs> Chiropractor right uh, use is up what? 300% in the past 10 years. I don't think that's a coincidence. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. So kind of in that trend, you know, I've always thought about the city of technology, like you have to introduce it and then let it go through its full cycle in order to remove it because that what that technology does is now being implemented by something else. And this is weird, like look at the iPod, right? Something that 
created a whole new category and changed music and music streaming and music commerce and like that whole entire and the record industry as a whole in one yep. thing it like existed it hit its climax probably with like the ipod classic where like you could play videos it had like 300 gigs of storage and then it became like ipod touch which was like okay the next inference into the iphone right yeah and yeah, so yeah. and then basically you realize this entire device just got replicated with code on another device and then the same exact thing is happening so i i started thinking about like okay if this is the next like sine wave like what is the thing after this you know and it's really interesting to think about so. Well, it, the thing that, yeah, what, what's so challenging about being a human being <laughs> that we all have this in common <laughs> yep. is we always think in categories that currently exist and we mm. extrapolate them into the future and we try and see the, where that trend line is going, but we can't predict the nonlinearities, mm -hmm. right? I mean, maybe there's a brainstorm session where you could look for these crazy adjacencies and find intersections that might occur. But, but like, for example, when somebody said, we're going to create a, a music player and it's going to carry around music in your pocket, what no one could have predicted was, oh, the entire music industry is going to shift from CDs and records and tapes to digital. It will become ubiquitous and music will be bought and consumed online, mm -hmm. effectively, Inst only, instantly, right? You will have access to everything. And, 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 and at once, music will become a part of everyone's lives. It will be instantly shareable. And in a way it will, I'm trying to find the right word here. Like its value will actually go down because when you can pay 10 or 15 bucks a month and have access to all music, monetarily, any given music is almost worthless. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, you're paying 0.00001 cents to play that song from that new artist yep. that used to be a completely different economic um, you know, ecosystem kind of the record sales. Yeah. Yeah. So that whole ecosystem, uh, completely shifted and no one saw that happening as a result of ultimately the iPod and Napster and Steve yeah. jobs going in and telling everyone you've got to, you got to wrap your heads around this new future. We're getting into bed with you. Like Apple becomes a pr big player in the music industry. Nobody saw that coming. Mm -hmm. So when you look at something like vision pro, it's like, don't, just look at the thing and say, okay, extrapolate it out and say, what's that going to become? You have to look at these, what, what new ecosystem is it going to mm -hmm. totally disrupt or totally create that doesn't yeah. yet exist? And that's a much more interesting and much more challenging question. It's building its own universe around it, right? As, as did the iPod, as did the iPhone, right? Um, and it's interesting to think, because you just brought me, you reminded me of a good idea or like a good memory which is like i used to wait in line with my mom at the record store to like pick up new cds that came out because i was always big into music um whether it was like eminem the eminem show back 2005 remember that or 2003 excuse me when that i remember when that came out okay. i remember when the grammys used to release a cd with like the best the, the like the best track from each album that they were uh they were they were reviewing as like potential winners yeah um it's almost but, yeah it's, it's quaint now for us to think mm -hmm. in those terms but also the one thing I realize is that it's kind of ruined music in some regard because there are some artists that like, okay, so I'll pick like, uh, I can think of like, I'll use the Eminem example, right? Eminem will release a, a, an album and there will be no bad tracks on there. But there are plenty of artists that just because they're trying to hit the next streaming blip will like, it's, it's designed that there are three hit songs that they wrote and then six ghost written songs that are meant. 
But the thing is, is people are only going to listen to the three songs that they wrote, and that's what's kind of pushed. And that's unfortunate because you're getting a lot of just stuff out there that's just not good, you know? Yeah, this is... So I think you're putting your finger on something that's happening in all of the, call it content or media universe. Mm -hmm. And that is a shift from innovation towards novelty. Mm. Okay, so I've seen my clients be affected by this on t with television because if you watch something like Discovery Channel 20 years ago, they would produce these huge epic shows like Walking with Dinosaurs and it would be millions and millions of dollars. Shock week. Right, yeah. And then they would, spend, they would pay a, an agency like mine millions of dollars to help promote it and it was worth it because the return on the investment and the economics of it. But then over the years, there's been this shift to we're not going to create something great. We're just going to create something new. Mm -hmm. Same thing I think you're referring to in the music industry. I have a good friend who was a music producer for 10 years. He got out of the industry because he saw this trend and he said, there's no, the economics don't work for people to make large investments in works in creative works. So for example, go back 20, 30 years ago, you would have a band. I don't know. I'm going to say somebody like journey or Genesis mm. or something like that. Yeah. Right. They would Rush. go into the studio. Yeah. Rush and, and invest a couple hundred thousand dollars. I'm sure the promotion and all the other investments, right. They're investing several million dollars because back then people are paying $16 per CD and they're paying mm this for the t-shirt and this for the concert and whatever. And those economics worked, but then you fast forward to today and to your point, an artist isn't going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in the studio, the average artist, mm -hmm. right? Maybe Taylor Swift does, but let's just, mm -hmm. let's talk about the, the other 99%. Yeah. The economics don't work, yeah. right? It's really better. It's more in your best interest to make something new and now than to make something great and evergreen. Exactly. But they're also like, I think something you talked about earlier about the, the, this proliferation of tech that democratizes creation. I think music is an example, right? Like Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas recorded their entire first album in their bedroom on an old MacBook and two and I, and one microphone. Right. And that won six Grammys and made, probably netted them hundreds of millions. And then James Blake's another artist who like literally still only uses MacBook and this exact mic you and I are using mm -hmm. like the sure SM seven. And he records right. all his Grammy award-winning music, if that means anything anymore, um, like on on this device. And you're seeing more and more people just using their phone and just yeah. making yeah. things, you know? And I and it, it's funny because, again, I think we can celebrate but also uh, mourn the loss at the same time because I love the democratization of creation and mm. the tools and the economics of that are great. The fact that every... Mm -hmm. You know, every kid can make a hit record in their bedroom on their Mac laptop. Love that. But there's also a part to like to my friend, Mike, the producer, who's no longer a producer. There's something to be said for. Yeah, but wasn't it cool when a major artist would go into the studio and invest months of time, hundreds of thousands of dollars, Man. session players, right? Yeah. A top producer. And they would craft, craft, craft something that had never been, you know, think of U2 maybe as a good example, right? A band like U2 and I don't know, Unforgettable Fire. And who who was that? Was that Brian Eno or somebody that produced mm -hmm. those back in the day? Yeah. I forget. But those kinds of albums and works of creative art, I mm -hmm. think are very, very, very rare nowadays because they're just not economically justifiable. Yeah. 
right? Because if you're to go spend the, four it, months on a farm and be Queen or Rush or Led Zeppelin and record and just make something for the sake of itself. One think of that. yeah, think of okay, like if you're Billie Eilish and you're getting ready to make mm-hmm. your next record, mm-hmm. why would you go to the farm in the countryside of England and spend hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of dollars when you're like the last record I made in my bedroom was a hit so yeah. let's just do that again do it again yeah. yeah yeah no it's 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 interesting um quick random side question your friend who was a producer what did they transition into oh you're gonna love this cyber security <laughs> awesome <laughs> probably making way more money now <laughs> kind of uh, yeah he's yeah. a he's a he's a really smart dude who just said i'm really curious about this and i want to go figure this out and uh cool. and he did and he went to i think he briefly was a consultant with kpmg and Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's in that space now. Smart. I mean, like you just—I'm sure in ten more years they'll ask the question again, and he'll be doing something like, "Ah, oh, I'm in space manufacturing." You know, it's fun uh, to think about, right? I mean, we yeah. do live in this era where it is possible. Um, one of my gurus, Dan Sullivan, who who coached mm-hmm. me years ago, he had this cool vision. He said, "I'm going to live to be 164 as his goal." I forget what it, the number is, but it's something like he wants to live to the year 2100. That's awesome. Which I'm like, wow, awesome. And then he said, and by the way, I'm going to have a new, entirely new career every 20 years, I think. So he's like, yeah, I'm kind of winding down my current career because in seven years from now, I'm going to do something completely new and then do that for 20 years. And then I'm going to shut down that career and have another one and another one and another one. And there's a really interesting thing that happens in your brain when you don't follow this traditional, well, you have a career and then you kind of retire and then you die. Hmm. That's so boring. Like right. I never want to be like when people are like, I heard someone recently, a friend of mine say they wanted to be a lifer at their company. And I nearly spit my food out of my mouth. I was like, that's, <laughs> I was like, no, thank you. No, no, I don't. I couldn't imagine being a tenure at any place. I'm like, um, I'm like, good for you, man. Thing. If that, if that yeah. does it for you, then yeah, by all means, but no, not, not me. For sure. Like I could do the magazine for 10 years or record this podcast for 10 years, but that's different because everything is, is, it's every day or every situation or every episodic thing is a, is a new adventure and well, i don't want to make shit That's well and also here's my encouragement right i i have kind of never had a job or a boss hmm. like i had a you know brief stint when i'm in high school right where i of course had had jobs and things but then after i graduated from georgia tech i started my own thing and that became impossible pictures and then i briefly had a job for the transition working for the company that bought impossible mm-hmm. when i exited but that was horrible i was like i'm out of here yeah, and started consulting and i'm like i i'm like wow i think i'm going on for, uh, what is it now 35 years or so of not having a boss and not quote being working at a company because i'm just doing what i love and it keeps working yeah. and so until somebody says no you can't do that i'm going to keep going yeah it's it's been the same for me i've had a couple i, I think i've had a couple stints a startup or you know when i was at collins with brian where like i had technical bosses and but every other time it's been not and just most people they get very uncomfortable when i start talking about it especially like a girlfriend's parents or friend's parents they're like oh no don't put this idea in my kid's head um even though i have and i do and they follow my advice but um it's just well there's fun. a lot of there's <laughs> I, I love the i love this increasing narrative that's starting to come out in the world nowadays which says Working at a company in a traditional job is riskier. It is. It's riskier because you're putting your future in somebody else's hands rather than just keeping it in your own and developing 
that muscle that we all have to have in the modern era called flexibility, adaptability, and an, and like an un, insatiable appetite for learning. Mm-hmm. And just grit, like just being able to say like, screw this. Like I, I think gone are the days of, you know, I shut off my computer at five and I go do whatever I want. Then I turn back on the next day at nine. It's like, look, like something has to get done. I'm not sleeping, you know? And that's just, and I'm sure you, you've been there many times. So uh, night before last, <laughs> I was talking with my girlfriend yesterday morning and she's like, Oh, why are you so tired? I was like, because I got inspired at one in the morning to create a whole bunch of copy for our new website for the, mm-hmm. you know, for RevThink, for our consultancy. And yeah, I was up for till two, three in the morning in my, on my laptop in the bed. And it's just because, yeah, I'm going to work when I'm inspired and yeah. deal with it. <laughs> yeah. When it, when it hits you, it hits you. Right. Um, as an argument I have with my girlfriend a lot, cause she, she loves routine. Um, and I believe that all routines are actually fake personally. Um, I think that some semblance of routine is good if you have, cause I, I told her, look, it's like, I have like a checklist manifesto. I need to get certain things done in the day, but they could happen at different points of time in different order for different reasons. See, right. I, you were right about us being best friends. Yeah, because <laughs> but like she also runs a farm, so like she 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 quit her job in corporate finance to go start a horse rescue for use for equine therapy. So like she has to wake up to get the horses out, right? Which is yeah. like fair, understood. But like understood, I'm not gonna be the person to be like oh, it's eleven thirty, time to go make lunch and be like peace out, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah. One of my client yesterday got mad at me because I wasn't available in the middle of the day because I had to go work out at 11, at like 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Because I was like, I felt like a long, a longer workout, go for a long walk afterwards. And it was the kind of thing where I, and I was like, they were like, well, you need to be more available. I'm like, well, was there something that I missed during that time period that I couldn't get out? They're like, no, 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 nothing like that. I just, I just, just in case it were to happen. I'm like, I'm not living a life where in case the thing might happen where, no, it's like, I'm going to do my thing. It's going to be yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, no email needs to go out at, at immediately. Right. That's that thing <laughs> right. I tell people is like, so people find this insane, but on my phone, my phone, my phone, my phone buzzes for two things. Like it lights up for calendar notifications. And it was like time of event. It's just like ready. Like, Ooh, I got to jump in this call or like, Ooh, I got to do this thing. Or it's a phone call from like someone that actually can. And I have like three levels of focus settings where they're like the most restrictive, which is like my girlfriend, my mom, my dad, my sister, my grandma. The next level is like that plus my best friends. The next level is like that. My best friends are the people I work with. And like, those yeah. are the levels and anything. If you're not in one of those categories, you're not going to make my phone light up. There you go. Um, because look, like I, I've sat at the desk, like, you know, at a WeWork next to someone's phone every second, zzz, Instagram, zzz, Snapchat, zzz, text, zzz, hinge, zzz, Tinder. It's like, you can't get anything done when well, that's happening. I'll ever. even say, even to the extent that I've been able to, control those interruptions and distractions it's still still it's still a challenge mm-hmm. so yeah to the person who just has it wide open i'm like i don't know how anything gets done it's chaos chaos <laughs> yeah so like chaos. people are like well how do you know what happens it's like if i go to my notification center which is what's designed to do it just stacks everything so i can add as a whole be like okay i have 10 text messages two missed calls uh, a couple emails although i don't send emails notifications like i check e- email to me is an island it's like a space station I go and check it, and when I leave, I it doesn't exist. And then I go back to it and go, ooh, and then I leave. Right? Yeah. I don't want I don't want to be tethered to the space station. I don't want packets of data from the space station. I don't want to be known <laughs> if the space station blows up. I space station is there. Thunderbird five is in space. Like just let I it. Love it. Or it's Thunderbird three. Which one's which one's the space station? I think it's Thunderbird. I have five. no idea, but I love okay. the metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
going back to something we were talking about quality over quantity. And so I'll have a friend about once a week at this point or a, a contact or a colleague. And they're like, have you seen the new show on Netflix? And I tell people, I was like, I actually don't subscribe to Netflix. I pay for a lot of the services. Netflix is not one of them because they are just the idea of, and if they're a client of yours or you can't say anything bad, then just like wink if you're in trouble. Um, but no, but seriously, it's just like, I think they make a lot of really good things. And when someone refers to me something three times, I'll go and borrow my girlfriend's login and watch it. But mm. I just can't handle like four new shows a week. Like they all can't be that good. And that's why like, I love what the kind of Apple TV plus approach where even they're kind of increasing the amount of content they have. Like almost everything I've watched in Apple TV plus has been good. And then like a couple things recently, Ted Lasso shrinking have been just phenomenal phenomenal in my mind phenomenal phenomenal things yes um and i'd rather subscribe to that one site that's going to be like we're coming out with two new shows a year and we're going to do a new season of the next shows and they last a couple seasons and they're done i would love that right and i think that's what apple's kind of trying to go after mm -hmm. of, of just like and that's what they've always done they're like we could make a hundred things but why would we you know um so but well there was a question that was coming out of that there was a question and the question for you, sorry, I'm like, I know. <laughs> no, I was tracking with you. I was like, I can't yeah, wait yeah. to hear what this question is because I'm tracking with you. So two part question. One, do you think that this trend is going to change, right? This mm. like content for like as, mu as much content as possible trend. And number two, personal question, like what are some of your favorite shows in the past five years that have come out that you've really enjoyed? Well, the... Second question is probably the easier and shorter one because it's not a lot. Yeah. Um, like I've certainly watched, I certainly watched a fair amount during the pandemic because that was something we did. Um, uh, but it's hard for me to remember. Mm. Right. And so what does that say? What does that mean? Why would it be hard right. for me to remember? Because on some level it's like, whatever. Yeah. I watched a cool series or two. And sure, I watched, what was it, Tiger King? Yeah, that was mm. weird. Okay. Yeah. Um, I watched, uh, what was the series on Apple TV that about the split brain? When you go to work, it's a different... Oh, Severance? Severance. Freaking yeah. brilliant, right? Mm -hmm. um, Adam McKay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was Adam... Yeah. Uh, I forget the yeah. main actor's name. It's Adam something, but it's not McKay. Adam McKay is the director of like uh, Big Short. Yeah. So Sorry, I continue. Yep. Ted Lasso, really loved Ted Lasso. But mm. it's difficult for me to even name them off because mm -hmm. quite candidly, for the past three or so years, I've been living increasingly nomadically. Mm -hmm. And part of my nomadic life has been minimalism. So I don't have a TV. Like, I don't have a car. I don't have, I mean, I have two bags that I travel with that have my entire physical existence, mm -hmm. right? Plus my backpack. I do the same. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, even if I want to watch something, I'm like, huh, is there a TV in the place I'm staying that I can stream to, or should I just watch it on my laptop, yeah. which compromises the experience. By the way, mm -hmm. Mandalorian, that was really good. Mm -hmm. um, so little things are going to come to me as we go along here. Sure. But I will say this, this is just for me. I am not judging anyone because I, the people that like watch all the content and binge all that stuff and everything, I'm like, I get it. The, the content out there. Yeah is really great. For me personally, I'm a little embarrassed to admit that the industry that I work in, of course it's a given that I'm on top of all of the latest mm -hmm. shows and movies and all this stuff because many of my clients are producing the titles and the promos yeah. and the, the visual effects or the whatever. 
but I don't. I don't consume that stuff. What'll happen yeah. is one of my clients will be like, "Hey, we just did the uh, you know the opening title to Free Solo, and it's and it's mm -hmm. got you know and Free Solo got nominated for an Academy Award." And I'm like, "Oh, I guess you should go watch it." I watch yeah. it, and I'm like. Holy crap, killer opening title sequence. Nice <laughs> yeah. work. By the way, the movie is freaking fantastic. Mm -hmm. So Jimmy glad Jimmy I watched Jabra's it. Really. Yeah. Great, yeah. Great human beings. Yeah. But then I then I canceled the subscription. Mm. Because I'm not just gonna see like what is Netflix gonna throw at me next? Yeah. What are they gonna throw at me next? Because it's like, I don't know. I don't I need so. it. My life is actually so full that I find like my girlfriend and I were recently remarking we we wanted to watch a movie and it took us a month mm -hmm. to actually get through it because we watched half of it and then we watched another piece and then we watched another piece what movie That's, was it you're gonna laugh she it, it had she had never seen she saw you've got mail back when it first came out and hasn't watched it since got and it. i was like look we're here we're here in new york i'm making all these references we just need to go watch this again so and then play we watched cranberries records but yeah yeah. But that was the one thing that we watched all month. Yeah. So I only share that to be like, that's kind of how I roll. If that mm -hmm. inspires anybody out there. Um, I love the fact that the things that I love and the, how I spend my time, I, I have watched catch up on all the latest shows somewhere on my priority list. It's always a little bit below the fold. You're smart. Like, like it just doesn't, I don't, it's rare that I get to it. It's like I'm on, a, when I'm on a flight overseas, I'm like, great, I get to watch two or three movies. Sweet. Yeah. That, that's like indulgent to me. Um, but I don't have anything else to do for 12 hours. So it works. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think similarly, like if I really enjoy a music album, I buy it on iTunes still. Like I'll spend mm -hmm. the 10 bucks because I want the $4.64 to go to that artist, right? Um, which is like, people are like, why would you do that? And the reason is because I pay for that bundled Apple one subscription so I can get access to like the fitness and the music and the TV. And the most important thing to me is like getting access to extra iCloud storage space. Cause I like mirror my hard drive. That's the only reason I really pay for it. But like, I was like, I effectively pay $3 and 40 cents a month for Apple music. And I spend like six to eight hours a day listening to music. So I feel like I got to put more back in than four bucks, right? Okay, um, yeah. But the same thing with movies or TV shows. If there's a movie I really enjoy, I buy the highest quality version that lives in my apples. My Apple account is like hundreds of movies, but they're all like, and I would love a play count because I'm sure I've watched Oblivion like a hundred times. You know, I've watched, I've watched Kill Bill a hundred times. I've watched, you know, I, I, I always say this thing, but I have a couple directors that like, I don't care what they make, I will watch it, right? And for me, those directors are basically like Nolan and Nolan. Tarantino and yeah. Scorsese, right? Which makes sense, and it's growing, right? They're getting they're getting more interesting, but um, Nolan to me is always is probably going to always be that top spot because like his reverence for like the beauty and purity of what film should be is astounding, yeah, and I'm excited yeah, it's, for it's Oppenheimer. So like exciting. Oppenheimer, I'm so excited for. Yeah, 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 yeah. Me too. Me too. So going off the last question you just uh, you kind of answered and going there so you're a member of the i'm probably messed up it's like it's the academy of television like what's the exact phrasing of it you're, you're part of the television academy right yeah the television academy motion picture arts and sciences so these are the people that uh that have the emmy awards every year mm -hmm. yeah yes so do you, when you vote in that obviously there's like they send you the content that they they want you to watch in order to vote right that's kind of how that Correct. works and then you yeah, spend so there's time two, to do that. Yeah, so there's, so there's two rounds. So I'm a, I'm a member, uh, or I vote on the motion title and design category. Cool. So what happens is, here are all the, the 
you know, we all say, these are things that we think we should be nominated. Those are voted on and those become the official nominees. And then there's another round called, okay, now vote on which you think should win this category. And then that, of course, that generates the, the winner. Yeah, that's great. There, I mean, so the Emmys, I think, almost more than the Oscars these days, there are some, I, I find, because I watch it sometimes, some things are so on point, and some things I think are just like, I don't know why this kind of made it through. And I don't want to, I don't, I, if this conversation is something where like, you can't talk about because like, it puts you in hot water with Academy, that's fine. But like, for me, it's just like, you know, when people are like, oh, it's a bummer Ted Lasso won two seasons in a row. It's like, well, if you watched it and you watched everything else, it's like, it was the best, you know, like in my opinion, uh-huh. right? Um, but it's, it's, it's fascinating to see that, like, it's, a, I was thinking about this, as you said, like, what are the best shows I've seen the past few years? Like Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've watched Shrinking yet, but I do think Shrinking. I haven't, first but I'm going to. You, like, I think it's Harrison Ford playing a comedy role as like a version of himself and like an alternate universe as like a psychologist or a psychotherapist is amazing. Like it's the least, the last role you'd ever expect. And then Brett Goldstein, who plays um, Roy Kent on Ted Lasso, wrote the show alongside okay, got it you know Siegel and so it's it's just very well done um Barry is a show I really liked I just love uh Bill Hader um from his SNL days um but so I, I guess going back to this question so like motion title focusing on like your specific tranche right if you were to create like a motion title hall of fame of all time like what are what are some of your favorites from like movie oh, and film and and tv well, again, it's what's funny is um, it's become so noisy of late mm-hmm. that it's difficult for me to talk about recent, recent. But when I think of Legends, I think it all kind of got started with Seven, which was mm-hmm. produced by Imaginary Forces for, you know, for David Fincher. My business partner, Tim, was actually involved. He was the producer on that that title sequence, which ironically at the time was just another title. Mm-hmm. Like they were just making another title. They didn't know they were making Seven, <laughs> which... Mm-hmm became really this formative uh, shift in the industry when everyone realized, whoa, this is what a film title could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my personal favorites is Mad Men, also from mm-hmm. Imaginary Forces. I have to give credit to those those guys uh, in terms of just a classic title because it, it, it established a brand, mm-hmm. right? It became a brand and a look and a, and a vibe and an attitude for an entire franchise. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, those are the kind of things that I look at and really find remarkable is something that creates almost a new category that we all look back and say, wow, that really, that really changed the, uh, like the, there was a cultural zeitgeist or something at the, at the time and it captured it or it created it. And we look back and we point to it. We keep pointing to it and saying, Hey, that's a, mm-hmm. that was a moment that defined something and, and we measure things by it. Yeah, that's, that's true. Hmm. Sorry, I was just trying to think while you were saying that about like some of my other favorites, but kind of drawing a blank. <laughs> I know. The, the problem is there's so many that I'm so like, many. okay, I'm sure I'm thinking of several, but are yeah. they the best? I'm like, well, mm. I don't know. There's a there's a, there's a hundred or 200 uh, examples of I actually like opened up my computer and like looked at the, the ones All that the won stuff. recently yeah. and the nominees. I'm like every year, it, imagine how challenging it is when it's like, okay, here are the nominees for title sequence Mm -hmm. and there's several hundred and they're all great i mean they're all great and you're like okay where do i even begin to pick one start yeah you know and i I was thinking about that going back to one of our favorite films oblivion like that 
opening sequence is one of the best like cold starts of any films um, yes just to get you in there especially um, musically yeah yeah musically, and that and everything. that voiceover that uh yeah that tom cruise reads it's mm-hmm. so yeah it's so well done we are an effective team yeah <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> that's right uh, so if, if anyone takes away anything from this episode the first thing they do is go watch oblivion if you haven't and if you have seen it give it a, give watched again and like yeah. as big of a screen and as loud of a the proper sound system as you can um it's definitely one of those movies that like i'm glad i watched it for the first time in theaters right right um yep which is a, which is a dying thing you know right and unfortunately and i and i really hope that you know each there will still be like these relics of theaters in the future of like we could still go and see like a proper projected film but yeah i think it's I just, it's becoming increasingly niche right it moved from the mainstream to to a niche thing i don't think it'll ever die um no. but it but it won't be you know it won't be mainstream i don't think mm-hmm. our kids kids will be saying let's go to the movie theater to see mm-hmm. the latest whatever yeah, so, you know, I am someone that, you know, works the technology startups, is big into technology. Like, when the Vision Pro comes out, like, you absolutely know that I will be probably one of the first people to get my hands on one because I just will, that's what, I just want to try it. And the first movie I watch will probably, probably be Oblivion because I'm just like, I want to test this theory that, like, it might solve the one problem I want, which is that, like, I want a movie theater in my own home, but I still want to sit on the couch, you know? Right, and if I can project that into a, a life-size immersive screen and still hear it to the level that it makes sense, like what I want—and this sounds stupid—is like my living room here in my apartment. Um, there's no, there's a desk and nothing else. They're just mm. speakers and boxes of magazines. Um, and uh, I would love if I could, like, because it's a nice Sono system, it's full, it's loud. If I could watch on Vision Pro and then sit in like a room with full of surround sound, that to me would feel like an immersive movie theater. Because it reminds me of like the theater, right? Right, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll see. I'm sure their their built-in immersive sound is going to be good because they don't make shit. So I'm excited to see, yeah, to see what that experience is like because it it might, yeah, it might be a whole new category for consuming films. Yeah, could be. And I think that's why Disney is, you know, Disney Plus, they said, is native day one. And, you know, they're playing around with new types of ways to watch streaming. And right. We'll see. Right. We'll see. Yep. It'd be interesting. Yep. I know. Yeah. I'm excited. My, to see my hot take is the the best Disney animated film of all time is Atlantis. That's my hottest take probably ever. <laughs> um, I just that's a controversial take. Very controversial. Yeah, I know. But I, I say it half serious, half just to piss people off. Um, <laughs> of course. So so to, to kind of get this wrapped up, I think we will need a part two. And I think the part two, in my mind, I want to dive deep into like the the nitty gritty, the technical aspects, the exactly how you think through problems, the exactly how things mm. work, the the master class, so to speak. But okay. to kind of keep this episode one as like a more amuse bouche uh, starter, you know, before the the main meet, I, I have a couple rapid fire questions I like to ask everyone to kind of get you out of here on on, on uh, some thoughts. Okay, um, so. These questions can be answered in as few or many words uh, as you please. Um, so the first one uh, is cliche in a way, but it tells me a lot about you, which is uh, if you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend on yourself or your family, uh, what problem would you try and solve? If I had a billion dollars and I could solve a problem. Mm. I'm trying to think how to express the thought I'm having of... Um, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's honestly something about equality. Mm. It's, it's, it's like, I, um, 
I really, uh, I, w- I would want to somehow truly deliver on a promise of equal opportunity for everyone. Uh, mm. Like I live in a truly egalitarian world. That's, that's where I would put my billion. Mm-hmm. I like that. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot left. There's almost way more left than has been done. Yeah. Um, is there a story that your family uh, or parents like to tell about you when you were a kid? Oh, gosh. Um, there's a few. It's probably the one of when my best buddy Mike and I, of of our many entrepreneurial crazy ventures, one of them was, let's open up a candy store. Mm. Buy, we're gonna buy we're gonna buy candy at the store, unpackage it, repackage it with our own branding, mm-hmm. and of course make a profit because you know you buy a candy bar for a buck, but you split it in two and you sell each half for a buck. That's yeah. that's profit, right? That's good business. But my buddy Mike um, somewhere heard this myth or legend, or something urban legend that baseball players they chew on rubber bands. I don't know why, where this came from. Yeah, no, they don't chew tobacco. They're chewing on rubber bands. So his idea was, let's make a candy where we take rubber bands and we dip them in sugar and that's one of our products. Oh, God. So yeah, so we sold this to neighborhood kids. And of course, they were dumb enough to pay 10 cents or whatever to buy what we called baseball chews. Oh, God. <laughs> and of course, famously, our parents came to us and were like, Mike, Joel, what's this we hear about you're selling rubber bands to the neighborhood kids as candy? And we were like, well, you know, they paid us for it. It's not our fault. <laughs> so, the oldest excuse but, in the book. Well, they paid yeah. for it, so. Yeah. Yeah. That, that. That's just one of the stories. But yeah, make it, we made feature films and we made, uh, you know, taxi services and we had a print printing department and we had annual haunted houses that kids would come from miles around. So there are a lot of stories that, that they could they could tell. I love that. That's that's uh, very similar to to my upbringing as well. Um, <laughs> is there a certain sound that you associate with happiness? A certain sound that I associate with happiness. Like for me, for example, sorry, Kyoko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. What's your What's your example? Because I'm thinking of one. Yeah, so I as a, I I'm a big fan of Legos. As a kid, I always built them, and I still like will build and collect them these to this day. Um, but that sound of like the the hollow cardboard box of the Legos that just shift around inside, and like opening presents as a kid, you knew it was Legos, and that's that's like it's the same sound. It's definitely engineered to sound the exact same too. Right, uh, and that to me is like one of the like if I hear that, I immediately go, yes, like it's gonna be a good day. You know. Well, it's funny. Uh, I'm thinking of the uh, the sounds of uh, of a good coffee you know, mm-hmm. environment where coffee is being made. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like stimulates my brain. I love mm-hmm. working in vi- environments where there's a lot of background activity and noise and people and so forth. And so that sound of the steam, right? And the thump of the barista yeah, the, yeah. makes me happy. Plus I know there's it's, caffeine coming. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that, that's a good, that's a really good one actually, because it's one of those things that in any other context, people will be like, stop the fucking noise. But in this one context, people are like, oh, give me this cacophony of sound, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. And it could be, it could be Starbucks or it could be like the nicest niche corner Mad Men Espresso on University of 11th in New York, you know, like it could be any of them. It still sounds oh, yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, if you could send a single push notification to everyone's phone in a given area, where would it be? What would it say? 
Oh man. <laughs> it's like, that's truly like 21st century power of God, basically. Um, <laughs> right. Um, so I had to pick a certain place on the planet, right? It could be a certain geographic region. It could be the entire planet. It could be one block. It could be someone's specific home. It, the world's your oyster. Yeah. What I would, uh, I mean, honestly, what, what I was thinking is if I could somehow send it to every like up and coming creative in the second or third world, mm-hmm. I would want to send it. And the message would in so many words say, you've got what it takes and you can compete mm-hmm. on the world stage. I love that. I love that. That's great. Yeah. I think where people need to, I think we talk about permission, right? Like that need that little bit of a push to get going, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. someone to believe yeah. in them. Yeah. Someone to believe in them. Yeah. That's everything. And then uh, any advice for your, I don't, do you have kids? I have one daughter. Yes. 21. So, so, so I guess the question would be um, advice for your grandchildren's generation. So if, if your daughter has children, like what would your advice for her kids be? My advice would be, gosh, it would be kind of timeless, right? It would be like um, practice the golden rule. Mm. It would be um, don't judge. And it would be like, follow your bliss. Mm. Follow your bliss. Um, yeah, don't don't apologize. You know, be 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 who you are, and, and don't apologize. I love that. Well, um, that's it for my questions. Do you have anything else you'd like to add for this uh, installment? No, I think that's that, that, that's been a really fun conversation. We I love how we went down some really strange and interesting rabbit holes, and now I'm curious for like what would what would part two be? Like we'd get into mm-hmm. some really, I think some nitty gritties and and specifics yeah. and tactics and all that kind of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. My my one rule for part two is if part one is digital, part two is you and I in a room holding two analog microphones. Like that's that because that's when you get really deep because then you get like easy vibe off that. Um, easy. But, I mean, you're in New York. I am too half the time, so it works out. That's, well, well, yeah. Don't worry. I'm I'm as much as I'm out there in the world. I'm sure we will collide somewhere. And yeah, I'd be happy to do that. That'd be that'd be really fun. Awesome. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on. Obviously, we're probably going to keep talking offline after I stop recording, but. Uh, Thank you everyone for listening and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation between myself and Joel. You can find Joel online at J-O-E-L-P-I-L-G-E-R. And as always, you can find me at Rob is Lost or robislost.com. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your day. Goodbye.